This is the Tactical Leader Podcast, where we're on a journey of self-mastery and true leadership. I believe that in order to lead others, you must first be able to lead yourself. And in order to lead yourself, you have to first know yourself. If you want to learn the tactics to get to know yourself, to lead yourself, and to lead others, stay tuned to hear from industry experts as I unpack the tactics that they've used to build their business, build culture, and lead others. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Tactical Leader. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Jeff Deckman, and we're going to unpack how he has helped apply conscious leadership in action across many years of business. Before we begin, I want to remind you that this show is brought to you by Nightly Productions. If you're interested in discovering, embracing, and sharing your voice, head over to nightly.productions to find out how they can help you do just that and create tactical content that delivers. Again, that's nightly.productions to learn more. Jeff, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks, Zach. It's really exciting to be here. Man, I'm super excited because there are accolades, there are books, there, there's so much coming in this conversation. And I really want to give the audience an opportunity to learn just a little bit about you, where you're a multiple international award-winning thought leader and author on 21st century leadership mindsets, models, and methods. You're the recipient of the 2021 Innovator and Thought Leader of the Year from the International Business Awards for your work around conscious leadership in action and the M3 process for leadership and organizational transformation. Overall, you're a powerful, transformative coach. You focus on consulting and training programs based on that award-winning Amazon best-selling book, Developing the Conscious Leadership Mindset for the 21st Century. There are several books out there that you've released. And overall, in your personal journey, you're a student of consciousness, Reiki master, Reiki master, if I'm pronouncing that properly. Reiki master. Reiki master. And then you're also, which is just truly incredible, a stage four cancer thriver, where you definitely have seen that personal, those personal obstacles and overcome them while developing amazing business lessons and acumen overall. Jeff, before we dive into the business side, the nitty gritty side of stuff, what's a fun fact we might not know about you? Well, there might be two. The first is when I was a kid, I I had four speech impediments and I had a lisp. I couldn't pronounce my R's. I pronounced all my L's as Y's and I had a stutter. And I think it was the universe just trying to keep me from talking as much as I talk now. But I overcame all of those uh, with the exception of in my senior year, just at the worst possible time, my stutter came back when I wanted to talk to girls. So that just, you know, that was something I had to work my way through. And the other thing is, is that I can not only wiggle my ears, but I can wiggle them independently one at a time. So that's my claim to fame. Hey, I can't wiggle either ear. So the fact that you can do both, (laughs) that's impressive, my friend. And uh, a lot of time when I was a kid to learn how to do that. (laughs) Oh man, I I love it. Thank you for sharing something fun about yourself. I love starting this off with a laugh. And honestly, I don't even know where to begin with your journey where you've won awards and leadership. I mean, overall, you have just an amazing amount of 45 years of management experience. 40 of those have been as an entrepreneur multi-million dollar companies. I mean, you've led across industries and I I would love to kind of start like rewind all the way back. What was that first leadership position where you really started seeing yourself as that person that was influencing others? 
You know, I can tell you the first time it showed up, but even when it showed up, I didn't realize it. And it was, I was a senior in high school and I was on the cross country team and I wasn't good in running distance. I actually was a hurdler, a lot of school records and that kind of stuff, but I used to run cross country to stay in in shape. And I was always in the back of the pack. But when it came time to vote for captain, I was voted co-captain. And my buddies were some of the best runners in the state, ran out of Jersey at the time. And I couldn't understand why they would pick me as co-captain when I when there were these other state level runners that were on the team. And, and one of them was the other co-captain. And, you know, I asked them, I said, well, what's that about? And they just said, you know what? We trust you. And we know that no matter what, you're looking to help the team go further. And I said, okay. And, you know, at, the t- at that time in my life, it was probably like a lot of people. I had a tremendous amount of insecurities. I moved around a lot when I was a kid. So I was always in different high- three different high schools and three different states. And it was just really a, a tumultuous period. And I was always the new kid. So that doesn't really give you an opportunity to have a lot of confidence. And my academics weren't all that good because I had moved and I'm not an academic learner. I'm an applied learner. So when I got out of high school, I had a track scholarship that it was a full boat to Ithaca College. And I didn't take it and I didn't tell my parents about it because I didn't want them to force me to go to college. My father was in the cable television industry since 1951. So I grew up around linemen and power workers and they were like cowboys to me. And I said, that's what I want to be. So when I get out of high school, that's what I became. I, I became a grunt, which was the guy that works for linemen. Then I became a lineman, a tower worker. And over the next seven years, I ended up becoming a foreman, a project manager. And then I was uh, the top engineer and building some of the most sophisticated cabling, cable TV companies uh, in the country. And that was through the 70s. So that was when I saw that I could get a crew of men to work for me and to work with me. And I never felt like a leader, but I I knew I could get people to respond to me. And I think primarily, as I look back, the reason for that was because I had moved around a lot, I had to learn how to figure out where other people were and how they did things. And then I could show up where they were and I could relate to people. I had empathy for people. I respected them. And I didn't know that those were leadership qualities. You know, back then, 70s and 80s, leaders were always seen as alphas, top dogs, the biggest, the baddest, and that wasn't my style. So I never thought I would be a leader. But as it turns out, the consciousness of of the world kind of caught up to this new style of, of leadership, which is now what my entire practice is about. I call it conscious leadership in action. So yeah, you know, once I once I started my first company, I really didn't have any money. And that company, we actually did really pretty well for about seven years. It was a cable television design and construction company. Within the seven years, we built it into four offices in four states, Dallas, Texas, Virginia, Jersey, and Rhode Island. And in 1987, that crashed because the business became more complex than our ability to run it. And we didn't realize it until it was too late. We were very successful, one company in, in one state, pretty successful, two com- one company in two states. But when we went to four, the complexity of managing that and the cost was something we couldn't anticipate. So that company crashed. 
And I went through a real challenging period because I had the choice to make. At that time, I was married. I had a two-year-old daughter. I had a son on the way, and I just bought a new house, and my company went bankrupt. And we liquidated. We had an auction. And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, what the heck am I going to do? I was 30 years old at that time. I had never really failed in anything especially that rude. I mean, when you crash a business, you have bankers, you have IRS, you, the wolves are not only heavy weight only, right there. Oh, oh, it's brutal. And, you know, I didn't have money to fall back on. So the question I had was, where do I go from here? I was really known in, and respected in my industry. So I knew I could hire on somewhere, but I just had this nagging feeling that I wasn't done yet. And logically, it didn't make any sense. You know, I said, Jeff, you don't have any education. You have knowledge, but you don't have any education. You just failed a business. Why would you think that you would ever even think of putting your family at risk to start a new one? And what happened was, you know, I went through and I did all the lists, the pros, the cons, and they all kind of came up as a tie. And anyway, so it came down to a, an interesting question. It was just kind of downloaded to me, which was, look, could I make a choice that keeps both choices available to me? And I thought about that. And I thought, you know, if I take a job, I will never start another business because I will have two kids and I'm going to be looking to make sure I can provide for them and college educations, et cetera. So if I take the job, I won't start another company. If I start another company and that fails, I can always get a job. So I decided to start another company. And that one was really tough because I, again, I barely had any money at all. And at the same time, I was looking to change from the cable television industry into the emerging newly born telecommunications industry. So that was a couple of years of transitioning over into that. And that company really- What years were those? Ezra pausing just so we have- 1987. That was Yep. Yep. So that was so, right when TV and cable and this that whole thing started becoming more popular in, in homes. Right. Yep. So I rode that cable television boom. And what happened was, you know, businesses follow arcs. And, you know, you have the infancy stage, you have the growth stage, you have the maturity stage, and then, then you have the decline. And the challenge is to always stay off of the decline part of anything. And what happened was the barriers to entry as a cable television contractor got really low. Anybody could get in it. It was really tough to make money. The telecommunications industry was just being born. Computerization, computers were just showing up on people's desks. Judge Green broke up AT&T in 1985. And before 85, the the telephone company owned all the cabling. So now all of a sudden they abandoned all that. There was this huge need for telephone contractors. So I knew video. I had to learn telephone. And I had to learn data. But a cable is a cable is a cable to me. And I said, if I can go in, you know, and so what I did was I started breaking into that industry, saw that I could make three times the money because it was a younger industry. And I built that company and I sold it a week before its 21st birthday. So I started it on the heels of a bankruptcy and I had like 17 grand I had tucked away. And by the time I sold it, we were doing five and a half million a year. We had bonding capacity of $2 million, line of credit of a million dollars. And we were one of the top integrators in New England. I was up in New England at the time. And I'll tell you, it was a heck of a ride. That business almost went under three or four times. And I never had the financial capital. But because of how I engaged people, I was able to get them and keep them. And what that taught me was 
the most valuable lesson I've ever learned as a business leader is human capital is more valuable than financial capital. Because if you, money doesn't make money any more than money loses money. People do both. And if you have the human capital and you've got the relationships and you've got the culture, you can make it through times of tough money. I've had to go and sit to talk to some of my top people and say, can I go without paying you for a month? And they were like, yep, we're in. That's a tough conversation for a lot of people, especially these days, right? You know, and I'll tell you, I've always said that being an entrepreneur, running a business is one of the strongest spiritual experiences you can ever have because it causes you to face your fears. It causes you to face your ego. It causes you to face your demons. And to the degree, like if my ego and my sense of shame would have kept me from having those conversations, the company never would have went. So what I had to do is I had to decide what did I value more, my ego in the moment or what it was that I was looking to build and the responsibilities I had as a leader. And that's become a theme. That's all in my book. And all the work that I do and the training I do is to talking with leaders to say, look, You have to be able to lead and manage yourself through the toughest of times before you can expect anyone to give you the opportunity to lead them. You know, I mean, you got to be able to to put up with all the hard stuff. And if you can, that's how you earn your stripes. But you can't fake it. I mean, you, you can for a little bit, but. And it's an interesting piece of that, right, is you can quote unquote fake it, but that authenticity and that the authentic leader seems to be like the hot topic word now, but honestly, that's not a new concept where your people, as they, they're with you every single day, they're going to see through the BS, right? If you're not being authentic, if you're not being a good leader or even just a good person as a leader, that piece is going to get picked up on really, really quickly with folks. And that empathy or lack thereof is going to kind of just be a, a spotlight on the areas of your shortcomings, right? Right. And, you know, as a species, Humans are highly tuned, sensitive social creatures. And there's a, we pick up on communications in a variety of ways. You know, what is said, how it's said, the tone, the body language, the eyes, the mouth, and the energy field. Most people don't even realize they're picking up on on that. So everybody's walking around, regardless of their education, we all have these basic skills as a human. And, you know, tribal dynamics are always in a, always drive everything. And the tribe is the most successful organizational design human beings have ever come up with. It's how we got from being the slowest, weakest creature <laughs> in nature to being at the top of the food chain. Our ability to socialize, our ability to tribe, our ability to use our collective genius and our energies to, you know, kill the mastodon and all that kind of stuff. Now, in business, the org chart has become the dominant. But in reality, and I just wrote an article in Forbes.com on this about how there are three forces that exist under the org chart that really drive everything. Tribal dynamics, knowledge networks, and culture. And people pick up on whether or not the leader is authentic or not, and then they share it amongst themselves. And you can't, I don't care how good you are, you can't fool people at that level all the time. You might be able to through because you have authority or you can fire them or whatever, you can get them to do what you want. You can get people to follow your directions through force. You can't get them to follow your direction Mm. through anything other than 
I, I call it leading with air, authenticity, integrity, and respect. Mm. If I operate within that, I'm going to be existing in a certain level of consciousness that you're going to have a tendency to give me to, to want to follow me. And if you don't have those things and you're, you're hitting on it with the tribe mentality, if you don't treat somebody with that, that is like wildfire, right? All of a sudden one person starts talking about it and it catches and goes. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, the cultural redo and rebrand is near impossible to recover from as that individual leader, right? Yeah, you really have to go in and do your mea culpas and you have to humble yourself. And also, and I went through that without knowing it. I was an egotistical leader that kind of had to have things his way. And, you know, you can understand that being a business owner and going through what I did, my house was always on the line. Most of the time I was the one who had to come up with the ideas and all that type of stuff. So you, you, you get wired that way. But I learned probably in my middle 40s, middle, late 40s, that that was just not the way that wasn't working. So I went through a lot of personal transformation stuff. I, I did the landmark forum for like three or four years and then saw that that was, got a little bit weird. I did a lot of spiritual stuff, consciousness stuff, still do for you know 20 years on that. And I started to transform away from that ego-based leader. And it took me probably a year to convince even my partners that I had changed. So what happens is an authoritarian leader doesn't realize how vulnerable they are to the tribe, that ego-based leader. And what happens is once that tribe turns against you, because you have been inauthentic to them, you've set part of the rules that being inauthentic is okay. So now they're inauthentic with you and you don't know it. And it's just, it's a nightmare. It's and you a nightmare. end up just like, as the leader, you end up like putting your head down and just plowing through, right? If you're in that mindset, you're not even necessarily aware. And I know this is a big piece of what you talk on or what you talk about is that not, it's not just about what you do or say, it's actually about being aware of why and how you do Mm -hmm. what you do and how you say things, right? So if your head's down and you're in that egotistical mindset and even that alpha mindset with my background, I've seen it so much police and military. It's just like my way or the highway, right? That authoritarian <laughs> where you're mm -hmm. lacking that awareness. Can you expand on that just a bit about how important it is uh, to have that awareness and that, as you call it, the conscious leadership? Yeah. You know, if I'm too lazy to manage people and if I can create intrinsic motivations within the workforce where they choose to, to follow me. My life's going to be a lot easier. If I show up as an authoritarian leader, I'm not connecting with them. And for me to get you to follow me, I need to show you that I understand you. I respect you. You know, there's a lot of buzz and and corporations and companies about employee engagement. We need more employee engagement. How do we get our employees to engage us more? And I tell them that you're looking at that backwards. It's not about getting the employees to engage you more. That's not the first step. That is a lagging indicator. Employee engagement happens right when you do something else right to begin with, and that is engage them ask them, include them. I created a, an eight-step leadership system about 15 years ago that's designed to help people to go from command and control to communication, collaboration in this new level of consciousness. And the first part is that there is a bigger no. You know what you know, they know what they know, and together you have a bigger no. So 
it gets the ego interested in, wow, there's a collective genius out there that if only I can tap into it, it can help me be successful. And it's an eight-step process. But the third step is about how to open that network and get them engaged with you. And it's very simple. It's ask and invite questions, then listen. And, you know, communication is the language of, listening is the language of respect. If I listen to you and I hear what you have to say, even if we disagree, you're going to see that I respect you. If I respect you, you're going to have a tendency to at least like me, if not respect me. And that gets the, the employee engagement coming this way. So as a leader, we have to lead in that employee engagement. I have to show you that this is the culture we have. I care about you. I ask you. It doesn't mean I'm going to hug you through business. And it doesn't mean there aren't going to be consequences. There absolutely are. But consequences aren't punishments. They're classes. The reason I've given somebody a consequence is because I'm teaching them if they keep doing that, they're not going to be employed here anymore. And nobody wants that. It's not a form of punishment. And everything I do as a leader is designed to coach, to help, and develop that person in ways that they can. And if I never stop seeing the human in the human, nobody's ever a cog in the machine. We all are incredibly intelligent people. We all have very challenging lives. We all want the same thing. We just have different positions in a company. And that relationship only exists in that company. If, if I were to walk by you in the supermarket, I wouldn't know if you were a CEO or a janitor. And like, why does that even matter? So the whole thing, especially in today's world, the, the biggest thing, the biggest shift in leadership is see the human in the human and hold yourself accountable. And at the same time, treat yourself with empathy and compassion and respect. And because if you can't treat yourself with empathy and compassion, you don't have anything to give to anybody else. And I have found that getting the right blend of, and you've seen this in military and police work, there's a bond in there that, look, this is how we do it. We can't hug our way through life. We can't hug our way through business. We can be really compassionate, but there's times when we just need to shut it up, suck it up, and let's get through this thing. And one of the big challenges happening now is everybody's going not everybody. That's a bad choice of words. There are, there's this movement to go towards being too woke and to foster what they call the snowflakes, right? And I think we absolutely need to have an increased level of inclusion and sensitivity and awareness. There's a new consciousness out in the workforce and there's a new consciousness in humanity. We're looking, we want leaders that are more connected with us. And it's so critical that we accomplish that. And I just lost my train of thought on, on where exactly I was going with that. So I apologize. But we have to be able to not only respond to some of that sensitivity, but we can't let the lowest common denominator dictate our culture. And what I've noticed is the ones that are the, the weakest and the highest maintenance are the ones that complain the most and the loudest. So leadership has to be able to go in and deal with those people because the rest of the tribe, they're looking at that, that individual and, and they're not respecting them. So you have to be able to go in and either coach that person up or say, you know, maybe you're in the wrong, you're in the wrong field or what have you, instead of trying to placate and address every one of those, because the vast majority of people, they know how to take a punch. They take pride in taking a punch and being able to get back up. And I think that some of leadership is going too far that way. And 
you know, the swing of the pendulum. We got to find that middle spot. I love that aspect, the middle spot, right? Sorry, sorry yeah. to cut you off. I, I wanted to say uh, and highlight that is there's so many people that do and leaders get influenced by the extremity extremities, right? Mm-hmm. Like something leans far one direction. So you like all of a sudden race that way, try to fix that one fire. And then you forget about the forest that's over mm-hmm. here, not on fire. Right. And I think that's a really an interesting point that I, I like that you said that is like, find that middle ground. Don't just chase that one thing and try to fix that one thing when you're forgetting about everything else. Yeah. When I talk about conscious leadership, That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about operating at a higher level of consciousness than typical human consciousness, which is ego-based, right? The way I talk about it is I see myself, there's two parts. There's my ego and there's my inner elder. And my inner elder is wise, is quiet, is the one that, you know, is not going to fight to be heard. But the ego is, I want this, I want that. Am I looking good? Am I not looking good? Did I get this thing? And, you know, ego's fine. It's, it's like a dog, you know, you have to domesticate it and, and it's fine. But an undomesticated ego is like a, a barking dog and one barking dog gets other dogs to bark. So one ego gets other egos active. So this conscious leadership in action is, it's not about spirituality or religion either. It's about this inner elder. What is the right thing to do? And I've studied a lot of indigenous cultures and I've studied a lot of, you know, I could be a comparative religion guy. You know, I've looked at all that type of stuff. And the Iroquois nation, which happens to be the longest existing democratic form of government in the history of the world. They were started in like 1612, still going. They never gave up their sovereignty. And they have a very interesting leadership methodology. And one of the things that they do is the way they make important decisions, the way their tribal councils make important decisions is they look at it through three lenses. Does it respect those who came before us, our traditions and those elders who came before us? Does it serve those who are in front of us, the best interests of them, not just their wants and needs, best interests? And how does it affect those yet unborn seven generations out? So am I respecting what came before me? Am I in service of who's in front of me? And am I taking care of what's coming down the road? Because as a leader, my obligation is to create my legacy needs to be the perpetuation of the tribe independent of me. And that I am not the, the person who breaks the trend or the culture. Hopefully I improve it. I at least sustain it. And if you look at through that lens, the ego can't survive that gauntlet. It can't. And that's such an interesting, because I was just about to say, you're circling back to that tribe mentality and cultivating mm-hmm. that tribe within your organization. Obviously, in your experience, there have been these lessons you've learned in the fire of it all, right? Like you've been in the heat of it all, learning these things and you've garnered experience. But has there been a resource that has helped you guide these, these thought processes or these decisions What's really been that thing? Has it been a book, something over the years, a mentor that's really helped really shape this for you? It came from good stock, (laughs) you know, super blue collar, super blue collar, but good, solid people that, you know, my, my mom and my dad, they taught us integrity. They taught us the importance of loyalty. I have three brothers and and a sister. So I got that tribe thing because I'm one of four boys, connectivity, loyalty, stick by your word. So I I got that. I think my basic wiring is I want to do well and I want to be of service. 
you know, there's leaders and there's opportunists in leadership position. There's leaders and opportunists. And one is about the people and the other is about themselves. And what really got things turned around for me is when I went, I decided that I I needed a spiritual path and I found one that worked. I had studied Taoism for quite a long time. I really liked that. I liked the energy of that. So I've been on a spiritual path for about 20 years, and that's just really helped me. Some of it really had an edge to it because, you know, the ego doesn't give up easily. So it wasn't, again, you know, let's just hug our way through everything and sing Om. It was a really good process of let's find truth and let's have the courage to find it and then congratulate ourselves. I remember at one point I was getting so clear on some of the things that I had done and my ways of being in the past that I was really feeling bad about it. And uh, I had a teacher at the time I respected and he said, look, he said, you can't be looking at that stuff and beating yourself up. You need to congratulate yourself that you've moved past that level of consciousness. And the pain is, in looking back at it, you go, oh, I can't believe some of the things I've done. Good. Remember them, but don't keep recycling them. Just remember them because that you don't want to go back to that. And the value in that is that if you make it shame, it's a club. And you know, there's all these different levels of consciousness. Richard Hawkins, I think his name is, I I can't believe I'm forgetting it, but he wrote extensively about it. And he's identified all these levels from the highest of enlightenment to the lowest. And he talks about the lowest form of consciousness is shame. And the one above that is guilt. And the reason guilt is not as low as shame is guilt is me thinking badly, feeling badly about what I've done. Shame is me feeling badly about who I am, right? So that guilt, you can work your way up through that. But what I had to realize was, look, the value, those actions that I had to turn them from something that I was shameful for, I had to get them to work for me. So what I did was I, I converted them to a tool to say, all right, I did those experiences, but that was a class. And if I'm going to go through the class, I'm going to pay that tuition, I'm going to get the lesson. And that's how I grow. So that's how I see the mistakes that I made. I, I own them. I get clear with them. I learn from them and I move on from them. So, you know, that spiritual work really, really helped me. And then once I got, there's a level of spirituality that shifts because spirituality still has some ego in it, depending on, but then you cross over into this place of more consciousness. And it's just, what is the right thing to do under the right circumstances? And can I get myself to do that? And I do the best I can. And some days I do it good for me. Some days I don't do it. Okay. Well, keep on trying you know? And I love that piece of it. Recognizing some days you're not going to hit that mark. Right. And you mentioned it earlier, having that grace with yourself is very important. Oh, you know, there's so many things telling us we're wrong. We're bad. We're not this, we're not that. And it's all ego. Right. And I call my ego, the liar dude. It's lying to me all the time. It's either telling me I am the greatest thing ever, or I'm the worst thing ever, or Am I looking, you know, I need to look good or, and it's just, and it's not a bad thing. It's just a low level of consciousness. And I had to, first of all, become aware of that. And I found a three-step process that's just fascinated me. And when I get these processes, I look at them for years and see if I can disprove them. 
because before I tell anybody about them, I want to make sure they're not BS, you know? And one of them is for transformation to occur, a couple of things have to happen, but there's a couple of three-step processes. One is it has to, you have to become aware of it. In my book, I talk about the danger of blind spots. And, you know, when something's in your blind spot, you're doing something, you don't know you're doing it, it's working against you. And it also could be working for you if you have a talent, but the ones that you got to watch out for are the ones that are working against you. So it's in your blind spot. And then all of a sudden, you if, if you're fortunate, you become aware of it. And it's in that awareness that's tricky because you're going, no, I don't do that. Of course I don't. Well, it's because it's in your blind spot. Once I become aware of something, I now am conscious of it. I'm conscious of when it's showing up. Oh, my dog is off the leash. My ego's in play. Oh, now I know. Okay, so I'm conscious of it. In that moment, I get to make a conscious decision. Does it get me or do I transcend it? Awareness, conscious decisions. That's a three-step thing. So I used to go from fighting when somebody was telling me I'm doing something, going, no, I'm not. You're crazy. You're whatever, shutting them down. Now my go-to position is they're probably right. <laughs> Let me go in and then I'll explore that on my own without wrapping guilt or shame around it because I'm just looking for truth. Truth just is. It just is. So let me go in and see it. And if there's something in it, okay, I'll adjust it and good for me. If there's, if it's not in it, okay, well, thanks for your opinion and thanks for caring enough about me to mention it. But I think you're off on that one. <laughs> you know? But awareness, seeking that, and then you become conscious and then you can make conscious decisions and that will help you grow up through your consciousness. I absolutely love that. And I know you were talking about it earlier and you're alluding to it. And obviously you're putting a lot of work into your, your life work really. And, and I know you've focused on it and you talked about your legacy earlier. And Jeff, I'm, I'm really curious, what is that legacy you want to leave on the world? Oh man, if I could help give people the tools where they could go through their life with a little more peace and a little more respect for themselves and sense for themselves and honor for themselves. And at the same time, be able to give them some tools that they could then go and help other people that they engage to experience that same type of transformation. That's it. I left my last company, Sina. I didn't even know where I was going to go. I just knew that I was done. And that's been a pattern in my life. I don't know what I'm going to do. I just know what I can't do anymore. So I throw myself off the cliff and I build my wings on the way down. So I, I had a period of time like, what the heck am I going to do? I've been in this same basic industry for 30 years. I'm known you know, in my industry nationwide and all this kind of stuff. And my whole identity, everything was wrapped up into that. And I had to ask myself a question. I, I realized that I was living a life based upon questions of fear. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? And I decided to ask myself a question based upon love. What would I love to do? And when I went from what would I love to do away from instead of what can I do? And, you know, how can I make money? What would I love to do? Everything just started clicking. I would love to help business people build their small businesses easier with less stress, anxiety, and torture than I did. Because those small to medium-sized business people, they are the heart and the soul of the economy. They are the most courageous women and men out there. And, you know, they're playing full out without a net every day. And I want to help that. It's my tribe. And I have something to offer it. And they, they all teach me at the same time. And, you know, that's really critically important to me. And, you know, at the same time, there's so many people that leave work. We spend so much time at work, you know, 8, 10, 12 hours a day, right? And that should not be a place where 
you leave and you go home and you kick the dog or you have to have a drink or two before you can talk to your spouse or play with your kids. It shouldn't be the place that drains us. And what determines whether we get drained at work or not is leadership, is the culture, that tribal culture, or do we feel connected? Do we feel supported? And a group that's connected can go through really hard times and be invigorated by them. You're fatigued, but you're not defeated by it. You get the right culture. This goes back to that human capital thing. You get the right culture, the right relationships, and you're authentic with people. And you go through those hard times. It's exhilarating. You come out of that. Everybody looks at each other and says, look at what we did. We are bigger and better than we were before. Let's go. We feel safer. We're less fearful. And then based upon us feeling that way, that's what we contribute to the world. If I'm fearful, if I'm angry, if I'm confused, that's what I put out into the world. That's the energy field I'm putting out. You know, being a Reiki master, that's all understanding energies and working with them. And I've done some energy healing as well. And my fiance is a phenomenal energy healer. I don't understand the quantum. I know that there's connections. I've experienced them to me. I've actually seen stuff that I've been able to do energetically with people. So everything comes down to energy. How's the vibe? If I'm authentic, I have a certain energy about me. If I'm manipulative, I have a certain energy about me. And we're all tuning forks. So the energy we send out affects other people's energies. And as a leader, that's what I want to do. I want to elevate my level of consciousness so I am more peaceful within myself and I can be more peaceful out in the world. And at the same time, understand that we need strength. We need fortitude. We need to know how to bounce back. We're not going to have pillows around us every time we fall. We need to know how to take a punch and become resilient because then you can be of service to somebody. If I collapse every time I get punched in the face, <laughs> I'm no good to anybody. And never and get back do, up. <laughs> I never get back up. And, you know, I, I've been in my share of street fights and I'm sure you've been in yours too. The one thing you know is you never go to the ground. Yep. You, <laughs> no matter what, yep. you don't go there. And I think we're doing a disservice with this younger generation by overcompensating. And I think that we need not a real super hard, but we need that higher level of consciousness. It can come in and say, I understand where you are, but you got to get over here or you're going to be vulnerable your whole life. I absolutely love that. And I think it's such a great lesson, especially with this younger generation, like you're talking about, to really be putting that out there. And I appreciate the effort you're putting into that, Jeff. And I want to give the audience the opportunity. What's the best way for them to find more of this content from you, reach out to you, connect with you, any social media handles that you're willing to share for people to uh, overall find all this amazing content you put out? Yeah. The easiest way is jeffreydeckman.com. You know, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm there too. I really don't do anything on Twitter, Instagram, those places. I'm off Facebook. You know, Twitter is just I don't like the energy of Twitter. I, I know there's a lot of really good stuff that goes on there, but I, I don't want to be in that conversation. You know, 140 characters. What meaningful thing can be said in 140 characters? You know, some platitudes, some snippets. Oh, that's clever. You know, and, and, and that's fine. But the work that I do, I'm focused more on depth. If you go into my website, you'll see that there's a lot of content. I like to explain and teach the concepts that we're talking about. I used to design cable television systems and, and computer networks. So I understand that the a fundamental understanding of something, if you give someone that, they not only can understand more of what you're showing them, but they can learn on their own. If I understand the fundamentals, I can figure stuff out on my own. 
And that's one of the key things of leadership is not only helping support people, but also giving them the tools where they're not vulnerable to you. They're not dependent upon you. But we're really in a tricky spot of how do we go from that command and control to that more conscious leadership and action. And there's just a ton of stuff on my website. There's blogs, there's white papers there. I've got my own YouTube channel. Just go in YouTube and Google Jeff Dackman. You'll see a bunch of small videos in there. Everything I do is designed to teach. It starts with a concept of the what, the why, and the how is kind of my theme. And I was just talking with my marketing person today, and and she said that the bounce rate on my website is like 8% or something like that, where a lot of times it's 30, 40, 50. And what that means is people are going in, they're staying in. And I don't have 5,000 people coming to my website because I didn't design it that way. I'm designing it for those thinkers and those people that are saying, you know, the students of this stuff, not people that want to be leaders so they can have the ego to go with it, but people that are really students and practitioners of what is this new evolution of leadership that we're in a historical period in, in our culture? What is that? And my stuff is, it all works. I mean, it's how I built my practice around it. So I basically teach people how I do what I do so they can do it for themselves. And there's other methods at work. You know, Simon Sinek does some great stuff. Mm-hmm. I forget what the guy, the author, his last name is Younger. He wrote Tribes. He wrote The Perfect Storm. His stuff is phenomenal. And I don't like the flashy ones. I don't like the ones that are looking to be there just so that they can be seen as that. They have some good stuff, but I, I like that next evolution of leader, yeah. you know, just a little more subtle. I agree hundred percent. I think you definitely fit that bill yourself and I love your content. I definitely encourage the audience head over to jeffreydeckman.com. A ton of amazing resources there. Obviously you also have several articles for Forbes that you've put out there. And I mm-hmm. want to encourage everybody after that, come back this Friday, where we're going to talk about tactical Friday and some of these tactics, how can we implement some of this conscious leadership in our own organizations? And overall, Jeff, I just want to thank you for your time and the wisdom you've brought to the show today, my friend. It's been a pleasure. I really admire the work that you're doing. You know, we talked a little bit before I jumped on about the discipline that you have. I don't have that discipline. So thanks for your contribution because you're speaking the same language I am. And you've created a distribution network for folks like myself and a lot of the other great leaders that you've had on to be able to get their message out. And, you know, you're like a virtual college with this stuff. (laughs) And it's really important. It's really important. I love it. Thank you so much, Jeff. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Tactical Leader Podcast. If this episode helped you along your journey of self-mastery and has inspired you to do more, I challenge you to head over to myvoicechallenge.com so you can find out how you can discover your voice, claim your independence, and build that thriving business that you've always wanted. Again, that's myvoicechallenge.com.